Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. Last time we talked about inflation, and mostly it was Mark talking, but this time I get an opportunity to talk because Mark peppers me with questions and I am left utterly defenseless. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. And uh, in this episode, we're going to cover inflation again. So we'll call this Inflation 2.0. Uh, my name's Mark. And my name's Brent. And uh, I talked a lot last time about inflation and I uh, figured we'd give Brent uh, a chance to <laughs> tell us what he thinks about inflation as well. So, Brent, what do you think about inflation? I just love inflation, Mark. <laughs> um, yeah, my life would be incomplete without uh, a little bit of an increase in the money supply every now and then. <laughs> I guess as an investor, somebody who uh, might own an asset, inflation is good, right? Because... Um, yeah, if you, if you own the asset and um, inflation occurs, then you can be a beneficiary of it. So, yeah, there's so many different things that I think we left on the table last time talking about inflation. And uh, it is a little bit of a rabbit hole and it leads to a lot of different other things. Talking about money, talking mm -hmm. about societal um, realities that we have around us. And uh, I think one thing I just wanted to touch on just to start the whole conversation is... Um, Inflation is theft, and that's a comment that uh, you hear once in a while in podcasts or you read in a book, and that's a pretty bold statement. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if we mentioned this last time, but um, yeah, what what does that actually mean when you say inflation is theft? Like, what's actually being stolen? Is that actually an accurate way to look at what inflation is? Um, so when I think about that statement, I I, I start by thinking um, basically money represents your time and um, you can say you go to work uh, at your job and you trade your time for money and money is kind of this thing that you can save up you can build up a store of it and it allows you to basically save your time for the future right so you spend your time at work doing what you're good at and you get compensated in money and you can hold that in your bank account um, you know and maybe you're going to buy groceries at the end of the week and Maybe you got to pay your rent on the first of the month or your mortgage. Um, but then, you know, uh, hopefully you have a little bit left over and that money builds up over time. And that represents um, your hard work and effort over the years. And it's it's built up year by year by year by year. And then hopefully at a certain point, you'll be able to have enough money to, to make, you know, a big purchase. Maybe at some point you're going to be able to... Um, pass that down to your children and they can kind of benefit from your hard work throughout the years. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's prudent too, just to, um, uh, as you work to save something, right. To put it aside, you never know. Um, we live in a broken world. We live in a world with a lot going on and there's always going to be something that, uh, needs a quick buck thrown at it. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to have um, something break or something where somebody needs help and you're there. Um, so to have a bet saved up is is obviously very prudent, very wise. Um, so money represents your time and energy. And when we think about inflation being, um, you know, a central organization like the central bank or the government debasing the value of money by inflating the number of currency units, um, that's really uh, debasing your time as well, right? Because, yeah, if you have you know, a hundred dollars in the so-called economy and you all of a sudden now have a thousand, um, you know, your percentage of 
uh, that might be one one hundredth, and now it's one one thousandth. So the money that you've been trying to save up and store up, which represents your time, all of a sudden got debased. So the government is essentially, you know, uh, debasing your time and your overall value that you've worked hard for. So when you look at it kind of from that context, hopefully I did it justice, but you can really see how inflation is theft. And um, it's not just theft of your money, it's also theft of like your time, which is the most valuable resource. Like you can't get time, it's scarce. So yeah, if you um, if you look at it from that lens, it can kind of get you fired up. <laughs> how is this fair, you know? So yeah, I don't know if, uh, if we can jump right into other topics of discussion based on that, but. Um, um, okay, but why, so if you, let's say inflation is theft, like why does the government do it then? If they know that people's savings are going to be decreased, then why do that? Yeah, why well, do it? Well, if you if you look at human nature, I think it's pretty easy to say um, that it will be done, right? Like if you're in a position of power and you control the lever of uh, you know either hard work on the one hand and um, uh, you know actually having to um, produce value to actually get money mm -hmm. or you could just print money um, and debase everyone else's money in effect taking their time uh, that and their money from them without them knowing it or with them knowing it but not really seeing it um, then yeah you can kind of be the beneficiary of it so the human nature the tendency is and i guess you can look historically at all different governments throughout history like once you give someone that power in in, uh, in government to be able to control money, um, then they just take advantage of it, right? So I forget what your original question was. <laughs> no, like, what, why do they do it? And I think part of the answer is that they have to. Yeah, that's the other side of it. They do have to do it because the whole system is based on um, debt, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, but what does that do then to, like you talked about some societal impacts, so if, for example, uh, I don't know, I'm just thinking of um, uh, building a cathedral in the Middle Ages, right? Which I'm not advocating building big fancy uh, cathedrals, but these were projects where that would go on for hundreds of years. So if I was, uh, you know, I think of um, like Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. It was, I don't know if you read that book, but I love the sort of medieval uh uh, fiction stuff. So it kind of follows like this family of Masons as they uh, work on various cathedrals and things. And yeah, so you could work for your whole life and earn a, a set amount of money per week or per month or whatever, and that would hold its value, right? And so if you made money, you know, you always have these, these images of like that box, a little strong box full of gold coins or silver coins or whatever. And you'd have to hide that away so nobody would steal it. But whether, you know, it was 10 years old or a hundred years old, it retained its value more or less, right? There were some minor inflationary periods, but, um, so I think that you could do something like that and not have to really worry about how money worked or, uh, you know, what that was going to be worth in the future, because you knew that, okay, it cost me this much to, to buy, you know, a loaf of bread and the food for the week, and I will have X amount left over. And 
you know, did they ever really need a raise? Probably not, unless their value increased to the, uh, you know, to the builder. Um, as opposed to today, like, do you think there's less of incentive for, I don't know, I'll, I'll just say people to find air quotes, honest work where you can just work for a living. And, uh, like, I know a lot of people have that mentality now, but a lot of people don't. So I'm thinking of, you know, the sort of get rich quick kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, do you think that is that human nature or is that sort of a byproduct of inflationary thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the cathedral thing is really interesting because, so when you said a family of masons, this would be generation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, we don't really think in that, those terms, like, you know, building a, a building, even if it's a, like say a church, modern day church that would be like comparable to a cathedral like there's no comparison architecturally speaking and you know we have steel and concrete and we just go at it and it's done in you know a year or two mm -hmm. um but the buildings don't last for thousands of years either right so um yeah it it, <laughs> it seems like our time preference has really shortened and i mean i'm sure technology has something to do with that but i think money also has a lot to do with that, how we look at, you know, if your money devalues, that has to affect how you think about it, right? And yeah, how you use so the, it. Yeah, so the minute you have um, money that is not sound, um, that, like you said, does not retain its value, so one guy can work all his life and save up money, but when he gives it over to his kids, they have to, you know, um, whatever, they're going to have half as much purchasing power as he would have had. Um, yeah, that, that, that creates an incentive, right? Because you think about the children in that situation, getting this pile of money, that's worth half as much as what, you know, the, their father worked for it for. And, um, when they go to spend it, they're, they're basically incentivized and incentivized in that situation to, uh, spend it quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than, uh, delay, uh, gratification and delay purchasing things their their incentive is to spend it quickly. So that they can get things that are scarce and that maintain their value over time. So um, I think this kind of behavior happens whether or not people realize it or not. Like it's it could be subconscious where all of a sudden, um, you know, you realize that your bank account, you know, the number goes up slightly, but the value goes down in purchasing power. So you just your tendency is to try and find things that don't go up and, or like don't go down in value, right? So um, that incentive structure is kind of, um, I think it comes from money that is unsound. And we have that throughout the world right now. Like, uh, I think all the governments have fiat currency and the whole system is based off of the US dollar, which is also a fiat currency, meaning, um, you know, it's not based off of sound money. It's based off of government decree. That's what fiat means, right? So we can talk about that when we talk about money in a bit more uh, detail, but just going back to the, uh, the moral consequences that that leads to. So if you have an incentive structure in society to spend money quickly because it's going down in value uh, or purchasing power, um, what do you think that leads to in terms of, you know, behavior? Like the average person might be more inclined to make uh, bigger risks because you know, they're trying to preserve value, uh, which is their time, right? 
Um, you know, they want to raise a family. They want to have, have something to give to their children. They want their children to have a better life. So they're trying to put their money in place where it's going to be worth more in the future. And they might take uh, risks that they shouldn't or uneducated risks, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we touched on in the first episode, just the fact that you have to, um, you know, take a risk just to keep your money. Um, that's, that's not, that shouldn't be the way it is, but that is the way that is our current reality. Um, so morally, I think this, this plays into, uh, all kinds of different behaviors we see, right? Like the short term mentality, uh, consumerism, just buying things, um, like amassing stuff and things to impress other people. Um, those all have their root in like our simple human nature and, um, that comes out, but the, the fact that we have unsound money also exacerbates those things. Um, so that, that's kind of the way I see some of the moral consequences. So we can talk about, um, how that affects specific industries. Like, you know, if we talk about the education realm, um, how do schools work? How does, uh, higher education like universities work the world of academia? Um, and how, how does uh, unsound money that, um, leads to inflation affect that. And you can think about just, um, uh, you can think about food, world of food, right? Like quality of our food, where we're getting that from and what the incentive structures are behind all of these different industries. And you can start to see like, um, you know, how, uh, how broken this world is. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, yeah. You can't put your hope in these things. Right. But no, um, it is eye opening when you start examining all different things and say, well, you know what, uh, I know educating our kids and educating uh, at a higher level is, uh, is broken. But when you look at the fact that people just produce research articles that aren't based in reality, where does that come from? Like, you know, or they're, they're trying to promote a certain ideology. Well, why? Right. And you can kind of follow the money back to where did that money come from for the grant to produce that research article? Well, it came from a government grant. Where did the government get that money? Well, they printed it out of thin air, which means they basically just stole it from everybody else. Said, "This is what I want a research article printed on." Right, and like that—that—that that, that shows up everywhere in society. And it's kind of sad, <laughs> very sad. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you bring that up. That the government can can really have an effect on things by just printing money and throwing that at what they want, as opposed to. You know, if there was a limited supply of gold coins that they could pay people with, uh, to, you know, to do whatever they wanted. Um, I think that, yeah, maybe research would look a little bit different, right? Yeah, I think um, if, in that case, like if it was uh, tied to a financial reality, right? Like if there was scarcity at the bottom of the money where you couldn't just pull it from thin air, you had to actually work hard to get it out of the ground or whatever the case. Uh, if there was scarcity, then you would have uh, you know, every other aspect of society tied to reality, just the same. And we're not saying whether or not people would make, you know, good choices in, in a moral perspective from a Christian point of view, but, um, the incentive to make, um, decisions, um, where was I going with this? <laughs> yeah, no, the, your reason to make decisions or what to spend your money on, especially as a government or as people. Yeah. <clears throat> Completely different, right? I, like I think of, um, you think of some of the greatest composers in, in the Western world anyway. So like Handel and, um, Mozart and these guys, like 
they really didn't necessarily, they didn't like monetize their work, right? In the same way that we do now. And I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that, but, um, you know, different, uh, different markets and things, but they kind of relied on patronage. So you would have like, you know, some rich uh, fella who would uh, basically fund them. And, you know, sometimes they would pay for specific uh, works to be done. Like, Hey, I need you to, you know, write something for my coronation, that kind of thing. But also they just got grants from people because they felt it was really worthy. And like, I don't know if that, yeah, how can we apply that today? I'm not sure. But like we had some, just some incredible, incredible work that lasted for a long time that came out then as opposed to, and I don't know, maybe I'm just being a crotchety old man, right? As opposed to the junk they make now. Yeah. But I mean, people have even done studies tracking like sort of the, the, the richness and the fullness of music over time. And you sort of see a steady decline, especially, um, once you get into the uh, second half of the 20th century, like just, you know, much more simplistic and um, yeah, not as complicated or. Yeah. To you know, satisfy that really um, quick uh, consumerist mentality that people have, right? Like instant gratification. I want the next thing, the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, I see that definitely coming out of the field of uh, design. So I have an industrial design background, um, educated, um, in product design, right? So, um, that's a whole field that's geared towards, um, designing, uh, products, the consumer products for people. Um, and a lot of work goes into the design, but the intention is that they'll be mass produced and shipped to everybody. Right. So, um, you get the, basically uh, a big chunk of the industry is focusing on, um, how to attract customers. Um, you know, year over year with a slightly different product that's slightly better that appeals to them so that, you know, basically they throw out the old one, they buy the new one. And mm -hmm. there's this, it basically just drives that um, to the next level. And yeah, I kind of regurgitated with that whole industry just because of that, because um, not that there wasn't people who really wanted to create good designs, but more that the money and the incentive structure of the whole industry and the whole um, reality there was that, um, you know, good design wasn't rewarded. Like people aren't willing to pay a lot of extra money for a really nice quality. One of those when they can just get a cheap one at the dollar store. And I think things are changing slowly where people are starting to realize like, you know, if I spend a little bit more money on something that's really nice, uh, I want to keep it. I don't want a lot of stuff. And there, there is a bit of a cultural cultural change happening, which is good to see, but yeah, mm -hmm. I just grew totally jaded with that industry because of that um, reality. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of affects everything in our life, right? Like the quality of money uh, and that whole uh, tendency for humans to want instant gratification um, and that being exacerbated by unsound money. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Because we always have that desire, I think, but you can't—you couldn't always get it. But yeah. now it's so much easier everywhere you look, right? And it's, it's just... such a temptation, too, right, for the government to just keep printing. Because on the one hand, if you said they don't, they can't avoid it. They have to do it because that's the way the system is set up. But um, it's also just a tempting thing, right? Especially if you're the beneficiary of the newly printed money, mm -hmm. um, and you, um, you know, you're one of that class that is close to. Um, the new money supply coming out, you can benefit, right? And that's the, the cancel on effect 
I don't know if we talked about that last time, but no, just being able. It's a big word, Brent. Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea who (laughs) Mr. Cantillon or where Mr. Cantillon. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But anyways, the the whole concept is that you're close to new money supply. So when, when money's being printed and distributed or loaned into existence by the government and the banking system, um, those who receive it first will end up, um, you know, better off because they can spend it on things and, uh, and receive the, the increase in value of those things sooner. And as the money trickles down through the economy and the people on the lower rungs get the money, they just, they've lost, uh, all that increase in value. So, um, you know, they always get the short end of the stick. So yeah, being close to the money spigot, which is why we like real estate so much. Mm-hmm. And we think that that is a way to kind of work with the existing system and um, use it to your advantage a bit. But. Yeah, I can't remember who said it, but I've, I've heard this said a couple of times. That like, it's, it's possible <laughs> if it was profound, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but that there's streams of money out there, right? You yeah. just have to find them and, and like stick your hand in. And that's, you know, you talk about the Cantillon effect. So the people who are upstream the furthest will get the most out of yeah, it. The people who are downstream get the least. Unfair. It's not just that that's happening. And it, that is true. It's 100% true. But what do you do in that situation? Like, do you just say, I want no, no part of that? Or do you say, well, like, I got to get my hand in that stream of money to help these people out. <clears throat> and uh, that's another thing, too, that um, you can talk about the moral consequences, like, um, I think of welfare. So the whole idea of, you know, socializing welfare and making, um, making the government responsible to pay for people who are in need mm-hmm. um, while, you know, having a money system that's based on um, debasing currency, um, you end up basically having uh, people say, well, I voted for you to uh, help this poor person out. So I'm doing a good deed. Um, rather than actually doing it themselves and helping people out. So, you know, before when we were on sound money, we had a, a, a sound currency, people had a lot more bandwidth to be able to help others and to assist and um, support people in need. And that was a big role of the churches also just in society at large. Like, um, yeah, I think people, people today have a hard time fathoming that because mm-hmm. The whole system is we pay taxes and we help people through that. Um, but that, yeah, that doesn't need to be the way it is. Um, that's largely um, a result of uh, having unsound money and um, the government basically just saying, well, you know, who needs help? Well, everybody needs help. Okay, let's print money and debase everyone's currency to pay for everyone's problems. And where does that stop, right? Um, and you kind of, when you do that and when that system becomes a reality, you kind of lose out on all the little communities that form where people are like, you know, I want to help my neighbor. It's like, well, I don't need to help my neighbor. The government has a program for that. Well, it's like, you know, you couldn't just get off your butt and go shovel his driveway as a start. But then after that's done, you know, maybe you talk to his teenage son who's, you know, not doing so good. And. Uh, you know, maybe he's going to be in a government program, but that you're not incentivized to do that because your tax bill is already paying for that in some other program, right? Yeah, that's what welfare is for, right? Yeah. Somebody else can deal with that. So you create so. whole cultures of people that rely on the welfare, and then you create like <clears throat> this culture amongst other people who pay the taxes that they don't need to help. 
And that, that also seeps into churches and to our mentality as Christians too, thinking about like, yeah, you have to help your neighbor, you have to love your neighbor. Well, what does that actually look like? Um, you know, is that just paying your taxes so the government can help your neighbor? No. So um, that's another consequence of inflation. <laughs> may go no, it's, overlooked. it's true. I mean, it, part of the consumerism, like we're, as humans, we're naturally selfish. So having a system that enables that or that incentivizes that is like, doesn't help at all either, right? Yeah. And I was just, um, while you were talking, I just looked up uh, Ephesians 4, verse 28. So um, it says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. So this whole concept of, um, you know, work, and, and uh, I think in this, this contact, context, um, it's not implying you have to do manual labor. Um, and, you know, maybe it's instead of using your hands to steal, use your hands to work, right? And not so that you can provide for yourself or that, you know, that you're a good citizen, but so that you can help others in need. And we kind of forgotten that, right? Yeah, we're, and we're, all, we're not incentivized to do that when we're paying money for this and that and the other thing through our taxes. And, uh, and, and then the pernicious effects of inflation were like, uh, Hey, I said that word. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you use the word pernicious last time? But Check that one off guys. Uh, um, but yeah, that, that like pernicious <laughs> is, it's like a harmful effect, but in a subtle, gradual way. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, those are the things that I think like a generation ago, we started on this trajectory when we, we kind of went off the gold standard and when we started having a money system based like this and it didn't just happen all at once. No. And even in my lifetime, like things have changed quite a bit and inflation has taken off to a level just even in the last five, 10 years, that's kind of historically speaking, it's like, wow, this is, this is crazy. What, what it was happening with you know, asset prices and food prices. Um, so that like that harmful effect happens over time slowly and and until you wake up and realize what's actually happening um, and how to either use it to your advantage or live in the midst of that reality um, you know in a prudent and stewardly way um, then yeah you might be blind to it all your life right and not realize and you still hear like you know your grandma say save your money and it's, mm -hmm. you know that totally worked like a long time ago um, when you have sound money, but in today's world, like people grow up with that save your money mentality are going to be severely limited because they won't have any purchasing power of that money. Right. You, know, you might have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, but if you can't buy anything with it, um, yeah, what is that worth? Yeah, it's worthless. So yeah, I'm going to go off on a little rant here just about, well, what you've been talking about, right? When we look at kind of the advent of central banks um which led to more centralized planning and power uh for the government as well right with the central bank you were able to um yeah centralized planning and and just you know you could see more and more power and financial power especially um uh going towards the government right mm -hmm. central bank is you know nominally independent of the government um and uh, yeah, I forget where it's going with that, but 
Um, once we kind of saw that, yeah, what grandma said really doesn't matter so much anymore because we rely more and more on the government for so many different aspects of our lives, for all these benefits that they're handing out and for, well, just for central planning of, uh, of, of the, uh, of the dollar and yeah. just how we have to adjust our lives to live that way. And, um, so there is, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, but, um, there's a website, which, um, you know, the name isn't great, but, <laughs> uh, but the content is right. So WTF happened in 1971. And for anybody listening, 1971 is when we went off the gold standard officially. Um, I think it had been happening for a little bit already, but, uh, when Nixon basically said like, no, we're not going to, uh, exchange any more American dollars for gold. And you're just going to have to trust that the American dollar is as good as we say it is. And uh, anyways, lots of far-reaching consequences, which you won't get into now. Um, but, the, you know, great website. And, it, you know, they have a lot of charts where you can just kind of look at things like, like inflation. And we see um, periods of minor inflation and then periods of deflation, which uh, we haven't seen in quite a while. Just over the course of history... And then, you know, 1913, with the introduction of uh, the Federal Reserve in the States, we see inflation starting to pick up. And then 1971, uh, then it, you know, it just, uh, everything kind of breaks loose. And uh, we're in this regime that we see today. And if you look at um, the amount of money that governments need to spend in order to get us out of recession, every time we have a recession, that increases and increases and increases and you know we just look at the amount that they spent governments in general spent for covid trillions of dollars and it's all related to the system that we have based on debt of which inflation is a uh, a symptom and um it's just it's untenable so yeah i guess the point is you know what are we supposed to do with that right how do we how do we deal with that we're talking about inflation and um yeah, how it's bad, I guess, is the uh, is the upshot of what we're talking about. Um, you mentioned something before, um, working for your money twice. Can you explain that? So if you're, yeah, how do you work for your money twice? Yeah, so that is just an idea that, um, you know, it's pretty simple. Working for your money once, um, obviously, go to work, you earn your money. And, uh, and then you, you keep it right. Um, but because we can't, uh, save that money for the future, or we can save the actual money, but we can't save the value of that money. Right. Um, by holding dollars, by holding cash in your bank account, you know, you get your paycheck, put it in your bank account. Um, by doing that, you won't, you won't preserve the purchasing power, um, in a, in a fiat economy where everybody uh, is printing money left, right, and center. And like you just mentioned, every crisis gets bigger and bigger and they print more and more money. So the rate at which that is all happening is just increasing and increasing, increasing. So you go to work, you earn this money, which is a representation of your time. You put it in your bank account and that devalues from day one. So, um, earning your money twice means we now have a behavior that since that is a reality and you can't save the purchasing power of your dollars, in cash in your bank account, you now have to go out and keep your money. So when I say keep your money, that means take the money that you've earned, 
and invest it or do something with it to preserve its purchasing power into the future. And what does that look like? Well, that involves a significant amount of risk, um, significant compared to, uh, you know, not having to invest it at all in maintaining purchasing power, right? Like the average person who's trained to do uh, a job and they do it very well, they're not trained to invest. They're not no. trained to read stock charts or to analyze companies or, uh, you know, real estate purchases and all these different asset categories. They're not trained to do that. And they, they shouldn't have to be either, right? They don't have to be an expert in all this stuff, but that's effectively what's happening is if you want to maintain or grow your purchasing power, you need to uh, invest. Whereas before uh, on, a, on a sound money standard, when you have uh, money that maintains its purchasing power relative to all the products and services around us, um, you can just earn the money once and, um, and, and hold on to it. And hopefully uh, when you can pass down your kids and they can buy the same things you would have been able to buy, right? The same quality, they can live the same kind of lifestyle. They can live in a house that, you know, you would have bought when you got married, but you obviously see that not happening today. So, um, you know, you might earn good money at your job now, but now you have to go back to work to earn it twice. And that's why we call it, yeah, earning your money twice. Like, um, and it really is earning because you do have to put the work in and you have to learn, educate yourself. Um, because the reality is you're, you're competing against everyone else who's trying to do the same thing, right? So everybody's out there looking at their bank accounts going, Ooh, what's going on here. Right. And those who kind of realize that first, um, have the benefit of buying scarce things like real estate, right? You buy a piece of property, they're not making more land. And now all the other people all of a sudden come to that realization, that same realization you did last year, trying to buy that property. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you benefit from it. Um, and it, and it gets worse and worse over time. Right. When we look at inflation, like the trajectory of everything is just print more, print more, print more, print more. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of the earn your money twice concept. And it's a sad reality that you have to actually do that, but I think it is a reality. And, um, and that's why like there's kind of a wave of, you know, investing talk, like all different ways to invest your money. Um, there's so many podcasts and resources out there to learn how to, um, and, and then you hear tons of news articles about people who've lost everything, right. Mm -hmm. who, who made the risks invested in the wrong thing. You know, maybe they invested in a cryptocurrency and they went massive over leverage <laughs> and the thing just went to zero and, you know, so, and those things happen to people who basically shouldn't be investing in the first place. They should just be working and earning and saving and building up wealth that way. So yeah, it is, it's not fair. I don't think. And, um, yeah, it's kind of a sad reality. Um, so yeah, maybe that, does that answer that question? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. And yeah, that, that's like you said, it's a reality. It shouldn't be that way. And yeah, I, I wasn't raised to, uh, to think this way either, right? More just, yeah. you know, work hard, save your money, which is a be good prudent, thing, right? do all these That's things. Yeah. Characteristic to have like work hard. That is good. That's biblical. That actually pays off and that's commendable and save is good. Like you can't invest before you save, like you have mm -hmm. to save up something to invest it. Right. Um, but the, the sad part is that you, you can't just save, you have to eventually make a decision to invest, um, and I can think of a handful of people who have, uh, they're a lot more frugal than I am. Let's just say they, they work very hard and, you know, 
I have a ton of respect for that. Um, but at the end of the day, you got a hundred grand sitting in your bank account. Um, that's just losing value day one. So, you know, you see the price of real estate go up year over year and, you know, you have less and less of a down payment. You got to work harder and harder and harder and it's just getting away from you. And that's the same with a lot of scarce, uh, valuable resources out there. Yeah. And I think the definition of being prudent has probably changed yeah. in the last 50 years, yeah, that's right? that's a good way of putting it. You know, a lot of the same, some of the same lessons still apply that I think we probably learned in our youth or whatever, you know, like, like you said, work hard. That's a good one. Um, you know, get some kind of education and um, save your money or at least, well, maybe not save, but, you know, don't be, um, uh, be like, be smart with your money, right? Yeah. Don't spend it unwisely. Don't spend it on not needed things. Have a sort of consumeristic yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. But all, but you're right. All those things just due to the system that we're in right now are not going to, they're not going to help you in the long run. If you put your money under a mattress, I mean, you, you get that every once in a while. People renovate houses. I think you, did you have that? You found a bunch of money. <laughs> I mean, uh, a little bit here and there. But yeah. <laughs> but even, you know, if you find like a thousand dollars from 50 years ago, well, it's oh, cool. A thousand bucks, right? I can buy, uh, I don't know. I can get a couple of playstations or a nice bicycle or, yeah. or do like a weekend away somewhere. Yeah. Right. 50 Maybe years ago, yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> for one night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But 50 years ago, that thousand dollars. Yeah. Those were so much more, yeah. right. You could buy, I don't know. You could get a car, yeah. uh, down payment on a house. Right, all yeah. that. So it's just a good illustration. Yeah. So to be prudent today means something a bit different than it did 50 years ago. And it's almost just the, the difference is that one extra step. Like you save, you work hard, all those things that were true before. And now you've added one more thing. You have to make your money work for you. You yeah. have to invest. And that's the next step of prudence in today's reality is um, ensuring that what you have built up actually maintains its value and grows. And this is where like, you know, our business, the kind of the reason we started this whole business was to like help people realize that first of all, mm -hmm. and then help people achieve that because yeah, part of it is like, if you're not educated in this. You don't have time to think about it. You need it. You need someone else to help you out. Right. And uh, there's so many different businesses that are in this realm doing different things and offering different returns, but that's really the key aspect of our business is to try and help people understand this and then help people achieve it and, uh, and to steward their wealth in that manner. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a ton of podcasts and resources out there available for people. So that's, that's one thing that is different than, um, yeah, certainly when I was younger, right? This, you know, we had, uh, <laughs> we had the Funk and Wagnalls uh, encyclopedia set, Right, you don't even know what that is. Okay, people still went. were cutting pictures out of encyclopedias because they were, you know, that was the only thing they did for. People went door to door and they sold encyclopedias. Okay, encyclopedia wrench yeah. is a book okay. with all the knowledge of, you know, I don't know everything that we knew it was in like, like a set of books. It was the inter analog internet, right? Um, so yeah, things have changed because all of that, you know, the all the work that some encyclopedia salesman or that a company did to 
put all this information together is now easily available with a few clicks on the internet. So by the same token, information about investing, about real estate, all of this stuff is, um, is easily available. So, um, yeah, I think it, it makes sense that people should educate themselves because the resources are available. Like one thing with technology, technology is generally deflationary, right? So it's even more incredible how inflation works in the face, in the, in the face, in the face of increasing deflationary pressures. Right. So if you think about, you know, what I was just talking about, the Internet and the availability of information and ways to to learn. Right. That was uh, like that just has revolutionized our lives. Um, if you think of things like TVs, right, they keep getting bigger, but cheaper. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's that's a great example of deflationary technology, whatever you think of TVs. Um, yeah. Right. So, you know, certain things are are deflationary and can have a positive effect generally deflationary stuff i think can have a positive effect on our lives so I, yeah i guess what i'm saying is it's just incredible that even with all this pressure as technology becomes bigger and bigger and we look at sort of the advent of ai and how that will change things as well um, it's so amazing that we still have this high rate of inflation that is just uh, ruining our lives and ruining how we think about money. Yeah, and uh, just to piggyback on that deflationary comment you made about, so technology gets better and better over time, uh, almost at an exponential rate. And I think that kind of hides some of the, the realities in the, in the monetary inflationary environment that we live in because money goes, like uh, money decreases in value as they print more of it, but technology allows us to do more. So it's, yeah, it's deflationary. And those two kind of balance each other out in a sense, because, you know, it hides it. Like if you're only making, or if, let's say you're making, um, you know, marginally more every year with a little bit of a pay raise, but the TVs are getting cheaper. You kind of don't really see the fact no. that other things are getting <laughs> harder to buy. Right. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it is pernicious. It's tricky. It's it's uh, kind of deceptive when you look at it like that. And it's kind of sad because, um, yeah, the, the aspect of how technology increases exponentially over time should really benefit everyone a lot more than it does. And that's be due to the monetary realities that, mm -hmm. um, you know, debasing our currency. So, yeah, you got to find ways to get off this sinking ship, I think. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and do what you can to maintain purchasing power you have and, and grow it over time um, through through investing. I think that's a really wise wise uh, thing to do. And, and the first thing it comes down to, in my opinion, is um, educating yourself, like getting some financial literacy, understanding a little bit about the system, what's going on, what actually undergirds our system, like this whole uh, central banking, like the, the Federal Reserve, um, you know, how money's actually created. And we hope to go into some of these concepts in future episodes and mm -hmm. uh, really try and break things down simply for people. Like we don't, we don't have all the answers, but we we'd love to study this stuff and talk about it. And hopefully you can kind of learn things as we go along. So absolutely. And I just want to, uh, there, yeah, we should wrap up. I just want to say on the deflationary point, a great book to uh, look at is the price of tomorrow. Have you, I don't know yeah, if you have that Jeff one, Booth. Jeff Booth. On the shelf over there. Okay. Yeah. Fellow Canadian. Um, and he really, yeah. Talks about that and, and a lot That's more. That's a short book. I think everyone should kind of check it out if they get the time. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, we should, uh, we should wrap up there. 
And uh, hopefully that was of some value to our listeners. So, yeah, thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.